If you're thinking about as an investor, the key thing to think about is that you are paying a premium to be in this zone. And so is that premium worth paying for? Hello and welcome to another episode of Help Me Buy Property Podcast. And today I have with me again, Cheryl Leong, my co-host. Hello, Cheryl. How are you today? Hey, Moss. I'm fantastic. How's it going? What are we talking about today? We are going to talk about investing and developing in school zones. It's a very, very unique topic. And not a lot of people talk about school zones. It's almost like one of those taboo topics where, you know, buyers agents talks a lot about the school zones, but you don't see general investors talk about school zones or even think about school zones. A lot of owner-occupier would focus on school zones a lot more. But yeah. when you're talking about investment properties, people don't people put a blind eye to it. And so I think it's it's important to talk a bit about, you know, school zones and the investing and the developing side of things and what yeah. does that really mean. Yeah, I'm interested to hear and and it is something, you know, you you see in re.com and domain when when an agent is advertising. Yes. Be like the property is in this particular school zone, which is in you know, quite a well-known known school or whichever. So what yeah. I'm interested to find out, and let's talk about sort of the the, the one-on-one stuff, and then is it, you know, are, are the, is it the same consideration with developing in school zone areas as, is it the same as investing in school zone areas? So we'll yes. come to that, but yeah. let's start off, like what do we mean by school zone or school catchments? What, what was that, what does that mean? What does that yes. term mean? Yes. And look, I mean, when you talk about the school zones, you're talking about premium public schools um, in a particular geographical location of um, a local government area or particular council. Okay. And so what tends to happen is for people who wants to, who wants their kids to go in that premium school, the school would usually require a proof of residency. And so they would say, are you living in that particular council? You know, they'll ask for a council rate or a utility bill or a driver's license, et cetera, or even like a minimum lease of 12 months, you know, to identify and establish that you are a resident of that council and then offer a free spot in that premium school for your kids. And so naturally it's an attraction for owner occupier and they would always consider buying in the school zones you know a lot of investors don't tend to naturally think about school zones or don't even bother checking school zones of where their properties are located so yeah so the question becomes why would owners focus on acquiring properties in in school catchments right and so if i share a story here a, a great friend of mine you know naturally he's thinking and he lives and he has lived in a school zone for youngs and youngs and this is Caulfield, you know school zone and so his thinking was predominantly very simple. He said, look, you know, if I send my kids to private school, they're going to cost somewhere between 12K to 30K. That's where they start off. And, you know, and so he had three kids. And so multiply, you know, that, you know, annual yearly spend of say 30K per child, um, you are looking at almost 250 to $300,000 of investing, right? And so naturally his instinct was that well, if I can buy in a school zone that offers the same educational opportunity to my kids, then I don't need to spend that sort of money on the private education. 
and that was driving him to a school zone mentality. Of course, he paid a premium to enter into that particular suburb because he wanted his kids to go to that you know, premium public school. And that's how emotionally invested these owner occupiers are when they are basically buying in school zones. So what are the, I mean, in terms of the values then, right? How does this impact the values of the properties in those areas? Oh, it's crazy. It's crazy. And so properties that are in the school zones versus outside the school zones, the property prices can vary between $100,000 to almost like four or $500,000 to that extent. And, um, and the funny thing is that the councils don't dictate what the school zone looks like. The school decides what a school zone looks like, right? Or because they are government schools or the Department of Human, uh, Department of, you know, Human Services or Education, you know, they would be the one deciding. Probably Department of Education and Training would be deciding what the school zone would look like, depending on, you know, how many people are living in a particular council. And so there is a risk that your property could be in and out of the school zone, depending on how they're changing the school zones. Now, you know, there are schools that change, that have changed school zones pretty much every year because yeah. of the demand and the new schools that they're building surrounding, you know, to, to cater for that demand. And so the prices can drop significantly, you know, if, yours, if your house goes outside of the school zone. And it, it has happened to one of my friends who bought a property just at the border of a particular school zone. And this is in, in, in Melbourne, Point Cook and Alamanda school zone. And I kept telling him, look, you know, if you're thinking about buying in a school zone, buy right in the heart, you know, be like yeah. one street away from the school. So you're not going to get zoned out of it. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. And, and so naturally, as you move closer to the boundaries, the property prices even starts going lower and lower. Okay, because everyone knows about this. And so he was one of those unlucky ones where the zone changed and all of a sudden his property was outside the catchment zone. Right. And overnight, the property price dropped by almost $80,000. Yeah, right. Ouch. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And so, but his kids, I mean, his kids still went to the school, I'm assuming, because they're already enrolled. Look, he, yes and no. So the, the, the school has a right and they do the audits as well. And so while right. you might enter into a property or, you know, people do that, you know, they'll get a rental property, live there for one year. Uh, I see a lot of Chinese investors doing that. You know, they'll rent a property, not live there just because their kids want to go there. And then basically, you know, let the property go, the, the rental property go. It's a very common thing. But schools know that, you know, the premium schools know that. And so what they'll do is they'll do random audits of people. They'll rock up to your house, knock the door and check that this is the person living in the property. Mm. And so while you can enter, you, they can actually kick you out pretty quickly as well if they realize that you're not a local resident of that particular council and so your school catchment is different. Ooh, that's a little bit cheeky. Yeah, well, cheeky if you're not living in the area. So in terms of then like the, the property, we're talking about property prices. What's actually driving it? Is it the zone or is it the actual people that are moving into the area? And is it generally, you know, is there some sort of affluence in people moving in there or is it just the demand in general? And so there is a particular study, and this is, this is a typical chicken and egg story, right? You know, what drives what? Is the price dictating the better school or is it the affluency of the people moving into that suburb that is dictating a better quality of school you know um, because you know people are more focused on their kids education right 
and there has been uh, studies done in this uh, sort of cohort where if you look at the data, the data basically indicates that the kids who have been to these selective schools or catchment schools, they perform better in life, they are more disciplined, and this is more to do with the neighborhoods and the parents taking more active loan role in kids' yeah. decision making in kids' life, you know, in grooming, you know, how the kids' future is going to look like. Okay, if you take a step back, not all selective schools are great, right? Because, you know, there would be private schools, you know, where there is high influence, affluence people living in those areas, but the area's demographics might not be that great, right? And so it's important to understand you know, what drives what. I have a core belief that the administration of the school and how the school is run basically drives its reputation at the start. And as they mature, they start attracting the cream and that helps them amplify their reputation. Okay, so the starting point is always the administration and how the school is run. The reason I say this is because I'll give an example of Alamanda School Zone in Melbourne because I've seen that very closely, that school never had a top reputation always, you know, when it first started. But one of the principles that moved out and moved into the Elementa school zone was a principal from a highly affluent school. And so you could see that as soon as he was put in there, people started talking about it. You know, he started, you know, imp- you know, getting parents more involved in the decision-making and the grooming of the kids. And all of a sudden, you would see that you know, the school's reputation started going up, its rankings started coming up, and, you know, people just flocked and, you know, gave the reputation a, a much bigger boost. You know, and the more the parents are involved in the kids' journey, you know, they would set kids on um, tuitions and, you know, yeah. music lessons and basketball lessons, and they are doing, you know, four different activities, you know, that's basically, you know, doing a lot more outside the school as well, right? Yeah. So not everyone can afford it, right? You know, you need yeah. to be in that affluence bracket for you to provide that atmosphere to your kids. And so naturally that gets reflected in the school's reputation as well. Yeah. And so does it mean, you know, are you seeing in terms of, we talked about this at the start, developing in a school zone area, are they the same sort of considerations as investing in the school zone area? Look, development is an interesting one when you talk about school zones. Okay, my personal again experience has been that developing in a school zone is quite difficult. Okay. The reason being is that majority of these school zones are set up in areas which do not support high density. Okay, and so you know, one because they're not in high density suburbs anyway, um, the numbers would potentially not work. Okay, for a developer. If the numbers work, and in some circumstances, you know, we have been privileged to, you know, do a development, actually two developments. I'm doing one recently in a premium school zone as well. I feel that the neighbors are quite, have a resistance against developers. You know, they don't like development. They don't like high densities. They don't like people, you know, building uh, townhouses or apartments or smaller dwellings because, you know, it takes away that feel of the suburban feel of the school. Yeah. And um, naturally, they also think, you know, some of the objections that we were getting on this particular site was that, oh, you are, you know, subdividing this into, you know, three lots. And so there would be three more cars near the school. And this is a, 
high kid area and these kids you know you don't know who these people would be and these developers are thinking about putting tenants in there and the tenants might not be school oriented or family all be oriented dodgy and they'll all be bikey yeah, yeah. the other yeah. important consideration is this right and this is what i felt in the previous project that because these school zones are in affluent suburbs these people would go to nth level to basically should i say piss you off right and so majority of the times, you know, and a person objects or a neighbor objects, they'll go to the council, do the objection. If you've answered the objections, that's where it ends. In an affluent suburb, they don't want to listen to a no. And so they'll take it to the VCAT, they'll take, take it to a tribunal, you know, costing you more time, effort, money in making sure that you get the right decision at the tribunal. Yes, you would win mm-hmm. because, you know, ultimately it's the risk code that takes the precedence. It's not what your personal emotions are. But, you know, it's just costed you extra money or no reason. It's costed you more time. It's costed you a bit more right. dissatisfaction or should I say right. frustration in the process because you're developing right. and these people have costed you just one year for because they don't want the development happening there. Yeah. Yeah. So it's an extra consideration to understand, you know, how much of a difference you're making to the area. Yes. If potentially you're knocking down a, a, a crappy old house and building a nice duplex or something like that right. where there is some level of precedence, then possibly your your neighbours are probably going to be happier about that. However, if you're building something that's for a higher density and it's right near a school, then or, you know, um, I'm in Sydney because in residential, in residential areas you could build boarding houses and there was huge uproar. Yes. Around around that, mm. things have changed since Very then. So, yeah, so yes. um, having those sort of considerations when you are developing, keeping in mind the type of neighbours that you're going to have and trying to avoid as many objections as possible yes. is probably uh, going to make your life easier. Yes. But this is, I think, a good segue into what are the – what are the considerations or what I say the risks and the disadvantages mainly of investing in, in the school zone? Are there any disadvantages? Well, I think we've talked about, you know, the boundary changes, you know, because you don't control it. Um, um, you know, that could be detrimental to your own investment strategy. Um, yeah. So just be careful of, you know, the school catchment zones or the boundary changes, et cetera, that is predominantly the key we've talked about you know doing the developments and the risk with the neighbors i think that's another key consideration the third one which is an important one is the reputation of the school again you don't control it so you might be a hard-working parent and you know you want your kids to do well but because the administration drives the reputation if the administration changes or the principal changes the school's reputation can drop quite significantly quickly you know and that has happened in the past i've seen for certain schools uh where you know as soon as the administration change you know you see the drop in reputation pretty quickly yeah and so those are some of the key risks that you would have to think about from an owner occupier perspective if you're thinking about as an investor the key thing to think about is that you are paying a premium to be in this zone and so is that premium worth paying for? Is there a longer strategy in play where you want to actually live there in the future? And so that's why you are entering into that pocket as an investor first and then basically go and live there 
um, in say three, four, five years time and the kids, you know, right. starts picking to school age. And so understanding that, you know, that premium is always attached to these properties is quite the key. Of course, that premium is what gets developers attracted as well, right? Uh, you talk about Frankston. Frankston is a typical example. Frankston High Primary gets amazing reviews, whereas Frankston North is a lot of housing commissions, right? And so the areas is not gentrified at all, but that school takes premium. And so anyone who builds in that particular pocket, you know, they get amazing prices or resales of their value because, you know, people want to send their kids to that school. Yeah, yeah. And, our, you know, I I went to... Uh school that turned selective <laughs> so i wasn't i missed i missed it when it was selective yeah i was i was the i was the year that was that was weeded weeded out are there considerations for um, you know we talk about the child itself i mean we you know there's there's the property side of things you know we're coming in from the angle of it's good for property values potentially and things like that I think we need to also, as parents, you're, you're a parent, I'm a parent, I'm sure there are lots of parents listening. Like, you know, obviously going to selective school from an academic point of view is, is fantastic if your child is so inclined. Like, look at things holistically. If you're moving into an area because of selective school, we want to make sure as well that it's the right choice for your child and their interests because there's a whole lot of I guess uh, there is additional pressure from the school because they want to keep their their grades up right, right. and that's Definitely. part of their marketing as well we, we got so many people in the 99th percentile of, of grades yes. you know is your is your child going to be that way inclined or are they more inclined towards creative pursuits or more sporting pursuits and all of that so mm-hmm. Yes, you know, property and, and consideration for the property is important yes. in terms of are you buying in a good area? At the end of the day, are you are you making the choice also that's in line with your own child is another consider well, it's probably one of the main considerations that you have to make. Definitely. As an owner occupier, I think that comes at the forefront before you even talk numbers, right? So, yeah, the education for the family, the upbringing of the kids, you know, it it matters the most, you know. I know a particular family where two kids go to two separate schools. And so one kid is a high performer and, you know, he goes to a private school whereas the other kid doesn't. And, you know, I know that it's a two-tiered behavior and they are comfortable with that, but, you know, they want to ensure that, you know, the, the kid is rightly challenged and the other one does not feel that, you know, it needs to be pushed and, and and yeah. pushed in the direction that he's not comfortable with. And yeah, th- yeah, those are the choices that you have to make. Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, you know, yeah. it's important that we consider both both sides of the coin. Now, one question I do have though, or maybe a couple of questions is, you know, one is more in relation to the location side of things for school zone. Okay, a lot of people, when they think about school zones, they think that, okay, these are close to city or close proximity to city. Is that the yeah. case? Is that what you have usually experienced, Cheryl? No, I mean, having lived in, having lived in Sydney, the few, uh, well, the, the, the selective schools that I, that I know of have been spread across different, different places. So not, not really close to city dependent. They are generally where, like I said, you look at it and you're like, a lot of people want to be in that 
that the area. It tends to be closer to some level of transport, I do find, yes, so that it's easier for, you know, the kids to get to school and so on. But no, it's not necessarily city, city-centric. city How about you? Yeah, no, definitely. I think my experience has been the same. If you look at the data that Domain has provided, um, I feel that, you know, they are spread out um, between inner middle yeah. and even outer suburbs of, you know, if I talk Victorian specific or Melbourne specific, you know, um, they go as far as Berwick um, and as close as Pascoel and Malvern and, yeah. uh, you know, Hawthorne. And so, yeah, they're well spread around. Uh, you know, there is a selective school in Werribee, believe it or not, <laughs> in Melbourne. And again, Frankston that we have talked about. And so, yeah, a suburb does not dictate a selective school. Uh, same with Adelaide. You know, you look at Adelaide, you know, there is a selective school in Anglevale, in Eldinga Beach. You know, they were non-gentrified areas at one given point in time. Mm. Um, and as soon as the school was announced, you know, you could see that the fluency has started to go up. And, you know, one of the reasons we were yeah. buying in Eldinga was because of that selective school being announced there. Mm. And so, yeah, naturally, yeah. it does attract um, a strong owner-occupier sense of, you know, driving those prices up. Um, the yeah. other thing, which is quite the key and this is more from an investment perspective, is while there is a strong sense of buying in a school zone, can you just buy any property in a school zone and outperform? Could you buy an apartment oh, in a school zone? That's a good, that's a really good point. Oh, I'd say no, because I mean, just like anything else, you still need to consider, we talked about this in one of our other episodes, right? There's, there are, there are certain considerations that you still have to make. Um, yes. about that property. So not, not every property is going to perform similarly. <laughs> 100%. I don't disagree. I think it's it's important that, yes, people would want to rent that apartment and that rental would always, and so you would have almost zero vacancy rates for that rental. Um, but understand that, you know, people are renting there just to enter into the school. They don't want to live there, right? So an right. O- it's not an owner-occupier right. product. You know, understand that people right. are selecting school zones predominantly because they have two or three kids and they don't want to pay private tuition, private school fees. So usually if, if a person has one kid, they'd be like, well, why would I pay 400000 or 300000 of premium to a property? I can just send my kid to a private school and live, you know, at, yeah. a, at a place point, at a price point, which is much more comfortable to myself. And so these apartments, while they're in the school zone, they provide great rental yield, they would provide great vacancy, they would usually not provide a lot of growth because they are not an owner-occupier product. And naturally the owner-occupiers would drive the prior, you know, the market up because they yeah. are emotional buyers. Um, yeah. So it's, you know, it's important, you know, townhouses maybe, yes, you know, and, and McKinnon School Zone is a typical example. It's um, in Melbourne at least where there is apartments there. And so it's, it's right in the reach of, um, should I say high density area? Not a lot of school zones are in high density as area, right. but McKinnon right. school zone is. And so there are a lot of apartments built right in the McKinnon school zone. It, it caters for both primary and secondary. So it's a premium opportunity, right? But you would see that the apartments haven't done significantly well compared to a townhouse or a house in that same area. And that's predominantly yeah. the reason. And and you look at and at the end they with apartments, you've got to look at the supply and demand, right? If you've got the same sort of product in, and you've got 200 of the same sort of units in one block then definitely you've got supply you've got supply issues there from a rental perspective as well you're competing with a lot of other properties in that same building or that same facility for the 
the same um, tenant. So from from that aspect, if you if you had to choose the types of properties, still still utilize the the same considerations that we've spoken about before. Obviously, the location, size of the land, layout, all those sorts of things to consider whether you know you're buying the right type of property in that spot. Definitely, would not agree more. I think this is a good segue to end the podcast. Lovely to talk to you guys. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback in relation to school zones, do jump into the comments below. If you believe that investing in a school zone is actually a bad idea, you know, let's you know yeah. jump on a podcast and actually talk to us, you know, or or Absolutely. maybe drop in into the comments and and tell us as to you know share your own experience as to what have you invested in a school zone. It hasn't done what it's supposed to do. I know domain data you know, is skewed towards, you know, outstanding price growth, you know, almost 40% year in year growth in some say, yeah. some cases yeah. for school zones. But if you have experienced something completely different, you know, please do, you know, jump in into the comments and share your story. Share, share your share your thoughts and experience and we'll all learn together on this wild property journey that we're on. Definitely. Awesome. Keep smiling, stay safe, keep investing. This is Moss and Cheryl checking out. Adios. Take care. Bye. Bye.